Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll be continuing our study of the book of Galatians, starting with Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Did he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the books of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. That is what I mean. The the law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In this reading, Paul is continuing his argument against those false teachers who are claiming that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, for Christ to be the king of your life, you must first be a Jew because after all, Jesus is king of the Jews. Paul had taught them something very different, that they did not have to be Jews, that they were heirs of a promise, that the promise superseded what happened in the law. The law was necessary. The law had a purpose. But these Gentile believers were justified by their faith, not because they practiced Judaism as a lifestyle. As we look to understand the applications that can be made for us, I think it's first important to make sure we understand God's promise to Abraham. God certainly told Abraham that he would have offspring, and through that offspring, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. For many Jews of Jesus' time, the understanding was that the heirs of the promise made to Abraham to receive blessings from God were passed on to them as a birthright because they shared DNA with Abraham. They were physical descendants of their father Abraham. But Jesus taught, and subsequently his apostles, that the true children of Abraham, and therefore the heirs of the promise of blessings, were those who had faith like Abraham. Paul says here that the descendants of Abraham who received the promise are those who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. But he does tell us in verse 8 that all people, Jew and Gentile, all the nations of the earth can claim this promise through faith in Jesus. It's an open invitation. We're also told here that the Spirit of God has initiated this work of faith that allows us to claim the promise. But the implied caution here is one that he explicitly states in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, that we must be careful not to quench the Spirit in our lives. When the Spirit is doing its work and bringing us to faith, we have to be careful not to squash that out, lest we lose out on our inheritance. This promise that God had made to Abraham was unbreakable. 
We get a picture in Paul's writing here that God is a God who is always at work. Jesus said as much in John chapter 5, verse 17. He said, my father is always at work. It's tempting sometimes to think that maybe God has taken a break and left things up to us, and we have to work certain things out in our lives uh, until God reengages. This may be what the Jews of the first century were thinking, maybe even teaching, that they needed to perfect keeping the law so that God would come back and bless them because of the promise that he made to Abraham. But they saw the law as being the vehicle through which they would be blessed. What God wanted them to know was that those blessings would come through faith when they had a faith like Abraham. Now, Paul says that doesn't mean the law was no good. God even worked through the law, but that law did not annul the promise that had been made before the law was given. The law didn't come along until 430 years after the promise had been made. The law didn't change the promise, but it set some conditions on the people of Israel. It taught them some things. It was intended to prepare them for receiving the blessings of the promise. They were under a guardian, a schoolmaster, something that would teach them and prepare them for what was to come. They didn't always accept it. They didn't always fulfill it. But that was the purpose of the law. And so it didn't set aside the promise. It didn't annul the promise. It was a tool that would help them prepare for the blessings of the promise. But we need to understand the law did not fulfill the promise either. The the law was not the thing that was bringing the fulfillment about. The law was actually something that the Messiah, Jesus himself, would fulfill so that he could, in his words, set the captives free. Paul says that everyone under the law was being held captive because sin was still keeping them from living the life that God wanted them to have. They weren't able to receive life through this law, so it couldn't fulfill the promise. We're told here by Paul that this fulfillment of the law by the Messiah paid the price to free us from a curse. Sin would no longer be the reason we were separated from God because we had access to him through Jesus. Paul also lets us know that Jesus is the offspring that was referred to in the promise. He is the one through whom the promise is fulfilled. The promise couldn't be broken and was not broken. It was fulfilled in Christ. So Paul tells his readers that being in Christ makes the promise ours also. If the promise is fulfilled in Jesus and we are in Jesus, then we are part of the fulfillment. So certainly it becomes important for us to know what it means and to understand, to live out life in Christ. There are many places that that speak to this, but just as a way of initiation into that life, one of the things that Scripture talks about over and over again is baptism. It describes it as a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're told in Scripture that we are baptized into Christ. We read it here in this chapter in verse 27. This sharing with Christ of his death, burial, and resurrection, this joining together with him, being in Christ, is a part of our journey with Christ that makes us heirs of a promise with him. 
It is described in Scripture, First uh, Peter chapter three, that baptism is our way of signing our commitment to Jesus, of choosing to live for Him, of having a funeral service for the old person that died to self, and letting God raise up something brand new that He uses for His purposes and can bless through the promise that he made. While baptism is an early step in our walk with Christ and our obedience to him, it is not a finish line. It is not the end of our journey. We abide in Christ and we trust him by living out the life that he's given us to live. As we do so, we find ourselves heirs of a promise. We get to inherit the blessings that were promised to Abraham and his descendants. We need to understand that this promise made is still there for us to claim, and that promise includes salvation. We are redeemed, purchased, relieved from our captivity because of our connection to this promise. This is also a promise that brings with it blessing. A couple that are mentioned just in the reading we had today is that we are one in Christ. We're joined together with him. There is a unity with Christ that we experience. That's intended to be a blessing to us, to help us get through the most difficult times of our life and be prepared for our eternity with God. But we're also told that one of the blessings that we receive from this promise is being adopted children of God. We are his children. And Paul spends some time here at the end of this reading making sure we understand how significant, how special it is to be able to call the Creator God our Father. But this promise also carries with it hope. Hope is a knowing that something is still coming. We haven't seen it. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we know it's coming. We trust that it is. And so we eagerly expect it, anticipate it. And because we have not received all of the blessings that come from this promise, we have not made it home with God for eternity. We still have hope. There's hope in the promise. As you contemplate your life, know that Christ wants you to be in him so that you can inherit everything promised by God. In this promise is salvation, blessing, and hope. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 